Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant in Conversation. My name is Matt Timonini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State Athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with one of our favorite and smartest regular guests, Josh from the College Football Nerds. If you are listening to this podcast and you do not know who the College Football Nerds are, you have to check them out. Josh and his co-host Daniel break down all of the major college football playoff contenders, each week's marquee matchups, and much more using their super secret proprietary advanced analytical modeling system that gives them a unique insight into this sport that we all love. They have an entire Ohio State preview video up on their YouTube channel. Now you go to YouTube, search College Football Nerds. It is really, really insightful. And even as somebody who follows Ohio State religiously every single day of the year, getting their fresh, unique eyes on the team was really helpful for me preparing for the season. They're also a great follow on social media, Twitter, X, whatever we're calling it, at CFB Nerds. I don't always agree with their takes, especially on some of the changes happening in college football, but they are an absolute must follow if you love the sport. Now, before we get into the episode, if you are finding us on our website, Land Grant Holy Land, please make sure that you are subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. We are going to be bringing you the most varied, unique, and eclectic look at Ohio State's football season, often with two, maybe even three different podcasts every single day. You will not find a smorgasbord of perspectives covering the Buckeyes anywhere else in the podcasting universe. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Josh from the College Football Nerds. All right, Josh, this is the fun time of year when everybody's expectations are incredibly high, but general knowledge about the teams, either that they follow or college football in general, is pretty low. So one of the things that you guys do over at College Football Nerds, you don't even really start your model until you've got about a month or, or three weeks of actual input to to make some determinations on. But as you look at this season, 30,000 foot view before we get into the minutia of it. What are your general thoughts about what Ohio State fans can expect from this team heading into the 2023 season? I think my general thoughts of the season really reflect the fact that you've got, I think, six of the top 10 teams in FBI that have new starting quarterbacks. And college football in general is in a little bit of a reset. Now, I think everybody does make too much of returning starters at quarterback sometimes. You know, Tennessee didn't win a national title under Peyton Manning. They won the year after he left, right? Uh, but I think there is some truth to the fact that with so much turnover at quarterback, one thing seemed more volatile, right? This seems more set up to be a 2007 year than any year in recent memory. Mm-hmm. But two, I think a lot of people, when they start analyzing teams, 
when you focus too much on your own team or your own conference, you miss the greater picture of just how much everyone's in flux. And I say that because your ability to make the playoff is largely predicated on what everyone else does, right? You know, why did uh, Ohio State not make the playoff in, you know, let's say 2017? Well, partly it was due to what they did. Partly it's due to what everyone else did. Why did Alabama make the playoff in 2017? Well, they made the playoff because somebody else lost two games, right? (laughs) I mean, if Ohio State is the same team they were in 16 or 18, I think they're in the playoff and Alabama's out. So, I think every year has to be viewed not just in the context of your own team, but the the greater landscape. I think the greater landscape has more uncertainty than in recent memory. And I think there is a lot of uncertainty even with this Ohio State squad, but I'm encouraged because there are so many pieces returning on both sides of the ball. And yes, there's a new quarterback. And yes, there's uh, some issues of the line of scrimmage we'll probably discuss. But just knowing how many of those questions also exist for other teams, none of this really particularly bothers me with Ohio State. Yeah, there is certainly a ton of uncertainty for Ohio State, but that's part and parcel with college football. You're always going to have turnover, especially at the high programs where they are constantly putting multiple draft picks into the NFL. I think for Ohio State fans, it's interesting because of the run of success that Ohio State has had under Ryan Day at quarterback, the fact that they don't yet they haven't yet named a starter Ryan Day we're recording on Monday Ryan Day this morning said he's not ready uh, to name a, co- a starting quarterback and while he would like to have one by this time next week there it is a possibility that he'll go into the season without a starter named I don't think Ohio State fans are really worried about that, maybe because both of these guys were fairly highly recruited coming in both Kyle McCord and Devin Brown and between Ryan Day and Corey Dennis helping with the the quarterbacks and all of the the talent at wide receiver that they have. I think everyone feels pretty comfortable uh, about what ends up happening behind center for the Buckeyes. When you look at this, Ohio State's offense has been tremendous in the last few years. Do you expect some sort of step backwards just because we don't know who the quarterback is? Does that give you some sort of regression to the mean expectation? Because there hasn't been somebody to just grab that golden ring and said, this is my job and everybody else is going to have to wait. I, I expect there probably to be a step backwards, mostly because of how high I was at the end of the year in CJ Stroud. Uh, I, I didn't feel like the first couple games of his career that he was playing at that high of a level. And I was concerned. And then by halfway through his first year as a starter, things clicked and you could see the talent level sort of taking over. It was kind of funny. There's actually a a podcast out there that quoted me from September when uh, how state was struggling a bit with Minnesota. And I think it just lost to Oregon and saying, you know, I, he's not playing that great right now. Um, and nobody wants to know the difference that he, you know, the difference in play that he had from the beginning of that year to the end of the year. And obviously by the end of the year, we thought he was probably the best quarterback in the country. So the problem is always twofold. It's one, who are you, who do you bring back? And two, who did you lose? Right. Everything is relative in college football. It's always, always relative to the players you have and had, It's always relative to your competition. Uh, I think there's probably a little more complacency with the quarterback situation in Ohio State versus other schools. I'll be honest. I don't think it's necessarily reasonable to feel that way. Uh, Ohio State's only had four quarterbacks really start in the last nine years. I kind of throw out Cardell Jones. But you had JT Barrett all the way from 2014 to 2017, right? Riding that ship. You had the one year with Haskins. You had a couple years with uh, Fields and a couple years with Stroud. Now, Fields was a transfer, so 
even then when you're talking about having quarterbacks that brought continuity and kept the the team going, I always kind of raise an eyebrow when you include in that list teams that brought in a transfer to plug a gap, right? Because if Justin Fields had not started in 2019, I mean, how much confidence was there going to be that the other guys that were on that roster were going to be high-level quarterbacks? Because we saw some of them transfer, and I don't know that they were, right? Yeah, no, Tate Martell um, so was not think... going to do it. Tate Martell was not going to be right. the, uh, it... the leader for Ohio State. Right, and then, you know, it, it, chugging off and Gunnar Hoke, right? I mean, those were the other guys on the mm-hmm. roster. So, you know, I do think it's fair to have concern, but again, that that's not unique to Ohio State. Alabama's in a really difficult quarterback situation. I think Alabama is getting a lot more skepticism and criticism because of uh yeah, just how rough Jalen Milrow right yeah. yeah well how how rough they looked when Milrow started last year they take Buckner as a transfer now I think it's a positive for them that Buckner is currently slated running third even through fall camp but this is where things get squirrely right the Milrow in that game played against what was actually the end of the year the number one ranked pass defense in Texas A&M uh yeah they weren't a good team because their offense was terrible but that was a phenomenal pass defense. Uh, and, you know, Georgia, right? Stetson Bennett never got the credit he deserved. The guy, all he did was go out and win. Uh, I always like to throw around the fact that Stetson Bennett is actually older than Jalen Hurts. Uh, <laughs> that, yeah. That's just a true fact. I've been playing football longer than him uh, and just happened to stay in college that long. But he was just invaluable to Georgia. And, and those teams also have a lot of issues, right? And And I'll give you a couple examples historically for why I'm saying you, you just never know. Um, one example would be John Brantley at Florida. So 2009 was the end of the Tebow era. They'd had good quarterback play for a while. Urban Meyer was considered a savant even. I know in Ohio State circles considered an offensive uh, guru, at least in some level, uh, in right. terms of being able to turn out spread spread teams. But John Brantley, you know, was in 2009. The backup had good statistics, uh, 8.5 yard per attempt average, had a much higher QB rating than Tebow, um, ended up being a 6.3 yard per attempt starter in 2010 nine touchdowns 10 interceptions 116 qb rating they were terrible uh same thing happened with auburn 2013 2014 nick marshall was the guy led him to the national championship game uh jeremy johnson was his backup was an 11.8 yard per attempt guy as his backup in 2014 201 qb rating i think may have led the country with anybody over like 30 passes and in 2015 he was a 6.7 yard per attempt guy and lost his starting job halfway through the season so my point isn't that McCord or anyone else is going to be bad. My point is just trying to judge the starting quarterback based off spot starts the year prior is is just flat out impossible. You you don't know what you're going to get. Quarterback play does hinge, uh, sort of determine a lot what happens for an offense and a football team. And I don't know that we know what we're going to get until we see it. All right. Well, I was feeling good about quarterback, no matter who it is. Now you've uh, you put a little cloud over that parade. So we'll come back to that maybe. But I think... The thing that Ohio State fans are probably the most concerned about is the offensive line. We were talking a little bit before we started recording about some of the updates that Ryan Day gave in his Monday press conference with Joshua, although he apparently now wants to be called Jimmy, Jimmy Simmons, the San Diego State transfer, looking pretty close to securing the left tackle job, which means that Josh Fry will be over on the right side. The offensive line last year, I think statistically, probably ended up being pretty good, but there were moments, especially late in the season, again, like most of the team, uh, where they struggled against Michigan and and against Georgia. They had some opportunities to really put some some things away, and they weren't able to do that. As you look at this team moving forward, what are your concerns about 
what they could do at offensive line. What are your concerns about what they might not have the people to do? Or is that just a position where, you know, maybe it's not as important as people are expecting it to be, even with all of the moving pieces from last season? I, I do think offensive tackle is probably the biggest concern. And in fact, I think it, I see it as sort of a positive that the transfers coming in and maybe winning the left tackle position, because I'll, I'll be honest. And I, we've talked about this in our previews. When I went back and really tried to break down the spring game, the the left tackle looked bad. Yeah. Uh, the offensive tackle play in that spring game just looked from a technical perspective poor. Um, this is not, again, not unique. It's kind of interesting to me that you've got offensive tackle turnover at Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, and Michigan, all of them. Um, and some of those teams are more confident than others in terms of their development and how they're going to replace them. But the truth is it's hard to replace left tackles in college football. Uh so knowing that there's a transfer that can come in and maybe solidify the position, given that I, frankly, I was really concerned that it was going to be a major point of weakness. If he's good enough to point, push the guy that I saw at left tackle out to right tackle, that just means things are a little more solid. And to draw a parallel to last season, I could see it being a little bit like how Alabama went from 21 to 22, where in 2021, they had a great uh, left tackle and they had a really poor right tackle and that offense did not work for Alabama at times uh, the Auburn game in particular that game was really just all about Auburn having a first round draft pick outside edge rusher they put it right tackle and he got to win every snap and Alabama could not throw the ball uh, because they Bryce Young didn't have time to throw it, it will break your offense 2022 they lose a phenomenal left tackle to the draft, but they bring in a transfer from Vanderbilt. They get a better player, a right tackle, and just being sound on both tackles made the offense way more consistent and especially the offensive line more consistent. It is better to be sound at five spots than to be elite at three and deficient at two when it comes like to the that, offensive yeah. line. Um, and so I, I do think it is a concern and it should stay a concern. Uh, but that's the big thing I think transfers are, are really changing in college football is if you're a top team like Ohio State and you know you maybe have a problem, now you bring in transfers and you say, look, I know this guy, um, you know, and, and I think he didn't grade out supposedly great at San Diego State. Right. Um, now, let me say, I, I have major concerns and criticisms of PFFs, <laughs> yes. uh, college grades. Um, I, I, I will go to my grave saying they don't they don't grade it the same way they do the NFL. If you just do run the math, there's no way they can do per play looking at every play with, with an analyst. I think it is mostly stat based and there's a lot of uh, a lot of anecdotes to back that up. Um, so I think maybe he's a little bit underrated and if nothing else, the coaches took him for a reason. They know he brings stability to the position and you're not going to get, I think deficient tackle play. And as long as it's not deficient, everything else can function because the skill position talent around the quarterback and around that offensive line is Obviously, I think the best in college football, and I'm, I'm not sure how anyone could argue anything different. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that soothes Ohio State fans, even with the concerns at quarterback and uh, an offensive line, is that presuming that Kyle McCord is the starter, which I, I guess, and I know you talked about this in the video a little bit, like, I guess because Ryan Day hasn't announced a starter in the competition still going on, Devin Brown still could possibly get that job. But I don't think there's anybody who really actively watches the program that expects anybody other than Kyle McCord to get that job. There are so many security blankets for him, not the least of which is the fact that he was the high school quarterback for Marvin Harrison Jr. So they have such a rapport dating back for, you know, at this point, half their lives pretty much. So I, I think Ohio State fans are fairly confident with the offense being able to figure things out, even if it is not as dynamic as it was under Justin Fields and C.J. Stroud. 
On the defense, though, that was really the big issue, really, since 2019, is the fact that even if they were able to make some strides under Jim Knowles last year, they continued to allow big plays, and this was something that you focused on quite a bit in some of the videos previewing Ohio State on on your channel, is that they just gave up way too many major plays. They gave up chunk plays. Jim Knowles came in saying, we are going to give up some big plays. That is part of the risk-reward of the type of defense that he ran, but the number that they gave up was just astronomically more than was acceptable. It does sound, coming out of camp, and again, who knows what this actually means from beat reporters and from coaches, that things on the defensive line, things uh, at the secondary, especially at cornerback and, and even at safety with Sonny Styles looking like he's going to end up being a starter, they seem like they're going to be much better. But how important is cleaning that up? Maybe Maybe it's not even you know, getting to the quarterback. Maybe it's not interceptions. It's just not giving up plays of 50 plus yards. Well, I think, you know, I think at the very least it's a key part of, you know, what you need to do in order to be successful as a football team. Uh, You know, the game against Michigan in particular, right? There were back-to-back series where only four plays run um, and you give up 145 yards. Well, how do you do that? Well, you give up two 50 plus yard plays. Um, Ohio State was 115th in the country, 115th in the country in 40-plus yard plays allowed. They were 123rd in the country in 50-plus yard plays allowed. That's not something you can have happen and be a uh, you know national title-level football team. And there were four touchdowns in that Michigan game, 28 of the 45 points, that came on plays of over 50 yards. And something we talk a lot when you start delving into college football and especially at the upper echelons, consistency is such an important thing. And the reason for that being you really can't afford to lose more than one game. And often you can't even afford to lose one game to the wrong team in college football to make the playoff and to win a national title. Uh, The NFL is always going to be looking to have this highest scoring averages and the best defensive averages because – Everybody has a few losses, and the higher you get those averages, and given the fact that you're playing a lot of teams all of similar caliber, uh, the better your record's going to be. It's the same sort of deal like fantasy football, right? You just want the guy with the highest average. But in college, the trick is really just about not having a down game at the wrong time, because if you're Ohio State, there's probably eight or nine games on this schedule that you can't lose. If you look at the worst upsets for a top three quality team, And frankly, Ohio State has a couple of them with Iowa and Purdue. I think the worst of those was, I think it was Purdue that year. Was it in the 40s in FEI? Yeah. Um, You know, they weren't a top 25 team, but they were still a top 50 team. And there's 130 teams in college football. Um, Most teams are incapable of beating Ohio State playing any sort of consistent football whatsoever. If they play their A game and Ohio State comes out and rolls a B minus game, Ohio State will win. 19 out of 20 times plus. Um, and so that's why this boomer bust style of defense, I think, is so damaging. If Ohio State was Ole Miss and they're trying to get to nine and 10 wins, right? That's a different equation because maybe you you jump up and you beat somebody you shouldn't. But when your goal is to go undefeated, when you have that game where you give up four 50 plus yard touchdowns against Michigan, your whole season is sunk. And so I think there has to be a lot of reevaluation of that because you just can't afford 
that level of inconsistency. I know statistically it probably makes things better. And I think across the landscape of college football, frankly, we're seeing this a lot. There've been a lot of RPO teams that got more explosive, statistically became superior football teams, um, but they became more inconsistent as a result offensively. And I think defensively, both in ways that they're trying to attack those offenses to slow them down, um, they're being a little more susceptible to big plays. And I think just from the virtue of having to play offenses like that in practice, they're losing their physicality and their edge. Uh, and, you know, Ohio State and Alabama have been in this weirdly mirrored boat where both of them have gotten really good offensively every year in and year out. But defensively, they've lost the consistency that used to define them. And in multiple seasons, it's bit both teams hard. And I think both of them are right now reevaluating that stance and trying to redetermine who they are as a program. Speaking of some of the teams that Ohio State compares itself to, I think that there is a certain percentage of college football analyst and onlooker who believes that the Big Ten East very well could be, when all is said and done, the best division in college football, at least at the top with Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, all not only competing for the division championship, the conference championship, but also potentially a national championship as well. And your mileage may vary on the three of those teams. But as you look at the Buckeyes compared to the Wolverines and Nittany Lions, what are your thoughts on how they stack up against those other two and how those three stack up to the rest of the college football landscape? So my partner Daniel and I on on College Football Nerds are kind of on the record of being split on this. Uh, I'm higher on Ohio State than Michigan. Daniel's higher on Michigan than Ohio State. We both think the other's crazy. Uh, I think the top-end potential for Ohio State is still there. I, I this series has been weird between Ohio State and Michigan the past few years, and I think it's been largely matchup dependent. Um, Michigan had some schematic issues with Brown at defensive coordinator that Ohio State was able to athletically exploit year in and year out. They've solved that problem, and now Ohio State's having, I think, to sort of re-examine how they attack Michigan because what they had been cheaply exploiting no longer works. And on the other side of the equation, Michigan under Harbaugh has turned into more of a ground and pound team and Ohio State got lighter and more athletic to try to defend spread offenses in this modern era of football. And I think it's made them more susceptible to that style of attack. Again, this is not unique to Ohio State. A lot of major programs have been in the same boat. Um, But I do think either one of those teams should be considered in the top five teams in college football. I, I think they both have the rosters for it. Um, There's a lot of proven production on Michigan's roster, both of them where they have holes have brought in transfers. It's hard to say if they're really even holes, but the sort of the depth concerns I think are shored up by bringing in guys, you know, can at least consistently perform. Um, And they prove it on the field last year, right? I mean, yes, Michigan lost round one of the playoffs. Yes. Ohio state lost round one of the playoffs. Ohio state gave Georgia the best game. Anyone gave them all year. Uh, Michigan lost to a TCU team in I'll go ahead and say it kind of a fluky game. Um, I think Michigan has to re-examine their their side even more because that ground and pound attack, I think, is getting exposed in the playoffs when people have more time to prepare. It's not such an it's almost like the option these days. It's such a novelty that it catches people off guard in the regular season. But playing in that division combined with Penn State, who outside Aller, which I think is a huge question mark, frankly, given that he was a sub sub six yard per attempt guy last year, um, which is getting overlooked a little bit. Um, they still have a lot of talent. They're still a really good football team. I don't think there's not a division. I'm not going to say I don't think there's not a division football that has three teams of that caliber. Uh, It's funny that 
we have for years taken heat from a lot of Big Ten fans because we've said the SEC divisions were harder because what really matters is your three or four hardest games. And an SEC West team often had three or four ridiculously hard games in their schedule. I don't care if they play an FCS. I don't care that they play eight conference games. If you're Ohio State, if you're Michigan, you're not going to lose to anyone in the bottom half um, of your of your conference. This year, I think it's flipped. Uh, Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, those are three legitimate top 10. If, if Penn State's not top 10, they're surely top 15, but I think they're top 10 um, football teams. Ohio State and Michigan, I think there's a pretty significant gap between them and Penn State, but Penn State is still probably the third best team in a division of any division in college football. Um, but the gap between them, I think, and the rest of the conference in the Big Ten is probably as large as any time in recent memory. Um, I don't, going into the season, really feel like there's anyone else that's clearly going to challenge them. And so it becomes a three-horse race with all those horses being in the same division. It resembles a lot of where we were at about five or six years ago in the SEC West when you had Alabama, LSU, and then it rotated really like Arkansas or Auburn that were all really good at the same time. That's where the Big Ten East is. Um, and a lot of the same narratives that we spouted back then against the SEC, I'm I'm being fair. I'm going to say they're true right now about the Big, Big Ten East. Um, you got to call a spade a spade, and, and that's the situation I think we find ourselves in. Uh, I want to wrap up talking about some of the stuff nationally, but before we do, I was watching all of your videos uh, about Ohio State and some of the other teams to catch up, and the background that you have is a little sparse, but you've got some pretty cool memorabilia and, and stuff back there. You've got a, uh, what I think you got some a Ghostbusters thing. You've got a Witcher figure. You've got a Dalek in there. You've got something that looks like a droid from Star Wars. What is your favorite bit of memorabilia? Whether it's something on your little set office there or anything else around your house. What what is your favorite pop culture bit of paraphernalia that you own? Wow, that that's an that's a tough question, but an interesting one. Um, yeah, you're right about all those. I am a a certified geek and adding myself you. slightly. I'm actually a patent attorney in my uh, spare time um, and we deal with video game <laughs> stuff some. Um, so that's the world I live in. You know, I, I don't know. Um, of all the little things I have, maybe um, maybe that Ghostbusters thing and I have a mug of Stranger Thing from Stranger Things. They're, they're pretty cool. So I'm a big fan of Halloween Horror Nights in Orlando and that's where the Ghostbusters glass yep. comes from. Um, there's usually one weekend a year where I disappear and Daniel takes it solo. We may do a guest host this year, which I think people are going to really, really like. Um, and that is usually my annual pilgrimage to go to Halloween Horror Nights because I'm kind of a, uh, I was born right before Halloween. I'm a bit of a Halloween fanatic. So I'll, I'll roll with that as probably my favorite piece of uh, memorabilia. Okay. I am an Orlando resident, so I uh, I know very much about how exciting, uh, how excited people get for Halloween Horror Nights and Mickey Not So Scary, but usually a different different demographic for that one. But uh, I will certainly take that. But okay, so let's wrap up. You've talked about some of the things that Ohio State needs to improve. You talked about comparing them to Michigan and Penn State. Um, I know you have Ohio State over 10 and a half wins. Daniel has them under 10 and a half wins, but I think both of you are, are right there at either 10 or 11 wins for Ohio state this season. As you look at the Buckeyes and I'm, I'm not going to ask you for like a playoff prediction or anything like that. Uh, although you're welcome to give one if you would like, where does this Buckeye team stack up against all of the other 
national championship contenders, especially considering that pretty much everybody has some pretty major question marks at important positions. And we're kind of going into a year, like you mentioned earlier, where there's as many unknowns as there are knowns, even for the teams that we think and just assume at this point are going to be the best in the sport. I'm not just saying it because it's what people want to hear, but I think Ohio State stacks up evenly with anyone. Uh, there are two safe picks, or really three. Uh, Georgia and Michigan are the safe picks. Georgia's picked as, I think the AP poll just came out, and of all the first place votes, they got 60 of 63. Michigan got two, and Ohio State got one. Yeah, um, they're, they're there for a reason, the recruiting level they've had. I, I think it's interesting because while I think they have more proven pieces at offensive line, they've got guys that were subbed in more um, – you know, they got to replace their quarterback. And I feel like for some reason, everyone's just been silent about it. But I think it's mainly, again, because people are just severely underappreciate how good Stetson Bennett was for them from a schematic and operational standpoint, if not for the fact that the guy was a wizard at, at extending plays and, and making plays uh, to extend drives. Uh, but Michigan's the other safe pick because they bring back so much production. Again, McCarthy... It, 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 in the, again, in the realm of things that are funny to me, people hype Quinn Ewers and they, they hype Klobinek at Clemson and they hype, um, all these guys like Aller at Penn State. Nobody wants to give JJ McCarthy credit when statistically he was way ahead of all of those guys last year, um, and was also a guy in his first year starting, right? Um, but those two teams ha- have the consistency. I, I think Ohio State is right there with a bunch of others where their potential, is sky high. You know, Ohio State and Alabama have the rosters, those two teams in particular, where if they play to their potential, I don't think Michigan should be able to beat them. Michigan just does not have the talent base that those two have on their rosters. They just haven't been able to show it. LSU is the other one that's floating out there. I'm not as high on them personally. Um, You know, they were, I think our stat was, they're eight points away from losing three more games last year. And I know... You can say that about a lot of teams, but they were far closer to being a seven and five team really than they were a 10 and two or 11 and one team. Um, and they had a couple teams lay eggs against them. So, you know, everybody remembers Alabama in overtime. I think Alabama was a very inconsistent team, not even a particularly good team last year. They played terribly in that game. Nobody wants to talk about LSU losing by multiple scores to a rather bad Texas A&M team. So when they're sitting there at five in the AP, I think that says about all you need to know about the rest of the landscape. The gap between those top four, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and Alabama, and everyone else is kind of seismic from a roster perspective. That's not to say that Ohio State or Alabama are going to end up in the playoff. What I mean to say there is really that there are question marks on those two rosters that are pretty key. And I think the same as Georgia with quarterback position. They just have a ridiculously easy schedule. Uh, so it's not going to show up until at least the SEC championship game. Um, but if they can solve those quarterback issues, they're going to be head and shoulders better than the rest. If they can't solve those quarterback issues or if they get deficient play, then yeah, they may lag behind those others and then may not end up making the playoffs. So um, I, I don't know another way to put it in the place of fall camp, but it it's just, it, it's as simple as that. The unknowns for Ohio State and Alabama put them in a situation where they can swing higher or lower than everyone else you got two provens in Georgia and Michigan that may or may not be surpassed as a result of that. And then you got the rest of the field that I think right now is just good, not elite. Um, and they're only going to really be in the conversation if a couple of those teams ahead of them with quarterback questions, and that's three of the four big names I just gave, if a couple of those slip up and don't get the kind of production they want. 
So if there is one team that you think fans should watch, not necessarily for the playoff, but if you want to throw that in there as well, but just in general, that a team that might be under the radar, either for entertainment purposes or competitive purposes, that whether it's Ohio State fans or just college football fans across the country need to make appointment television to check out, who would it be this season? Actually, you, you give me the toughest question. So <laughs> I, I think, you know, I think the the area that people should really try to check out is probably the top end of the ACC with Florida State, Clemson and Notre Dame all being top 15 teams. I think Florida State has the most underrated set of returning players in the country. Jordan Travis was a top three player um, in a lot of statistics. He was like yard per attempt and whatnot. He was only behind CJ Stroud. Um they have the potential to make some serious noise. And that game one, I believe it's on Sunday against LSU, should be appointment television for everyone because that game is going to say a lot about one of these two teams probably being a national title contender. Um, but more than anything, I think those are two interesting teams to look for. And I personally think Florida State may be kind of underrated in that matchup. Uh, and then Clemson is another one where they haven't played great the last couple of years. I think they made some bad moves at offensive coordinator and have tried to shore that up this season. Uh, Garrett Riley is a brilliant mind, and I think you may see a bit of a turnaround there. They've got the talent to be great. Clemson in particular, I think, is a team a lot of people are sleeping on. They are as talented as anyone numbers five through nine, and yet they're sitting there at number nine. Um, I'd watch them early and often because I have a pretty strong feeling one of those two is going to be deep, deep, deep on the playoff race. Uh, come December. Awesome. Well, Josh, we always appreciate you taking some time to talk to Buckeyes with us. And college football nerds are, you guys are someone that I turn to throughout the season. Anytime you do something in an Ohio State game, we always include it in our pre-game coverage. So we, of course, will have links to where everybody can get all of your videos in the show notes if they want to check that out. But uh, we appreciate it. Enjoy the season. And uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to check back in throughout the season. And hopefully if the Buckeyes make it to the college football playoff. Thanks, man. It's always a pleasure to be on. And anytime you want to have me and, you know, the we, we follow you guys, Land Grant, Holy Land, too. I mean, there's a way we have to get information. Uh, it's a wonderful site. And you have a great group of people that put out a lot of uh, good analysis and good information on the team. So always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant In Conversation. Also, thanks, of course, to Josh. I'll have a link to the College Football Nerds YouTube channel and their social media feeds in the show notes and in the article version on LandGrantHolyLand.com. If you are finding this episode on that aforementioned website, make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We are more or less cranking out multiple episodes every single day throughout the college football season, and they will have unique perspectives and voices that you will not hear anywhere else in the Buckeye podcasting universe. Also, don't forget to follow the Land Grant Podcast Network on Twitter at Land Grant Pods, and you can follow me at BWW Matt. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon, and as always, go Bucks. <laughs>